We have one more speaker, one, two, then one, we two. will be breaking for lunch. I would like to introduce Jason Swartz, who is the head of Portfolio Solutions at Satrix. And again, Satrix is one of our sponsors, so thank you very much yeah. to the good folks there. Jason? Thank you. Can everyone hear me? So I feel a little bad I'm between you guys and lunch, so I won't take a lot of your time. Um, uh, if, if I do rush to anything, we do have a white paper on our website. You feel free to go look at it. Um, while, while they're getting my slides up, and I also want to apologize to some of you who have seen this presentation before. I won't be offended if you go through emails or anything, but I'm also going to go with the assumption that most of you are fairly familiar with fact investing. Um, for those of you who aren't, we've also got a little brochure um, in front of you. Um, but, but simply, very simplistically, factors are very well understood, measurable attributes that um, explain active returns. So for us, if you group together a bunch of stocks with similar characteristics based on data, um, this typically gives you a portfolio that, that has quite a unique character in a certain market environment. Thank you. Um, and, um, and, and this portfolio can often serve a very specific role for clients, um, and clients can use it to serve or to achieve certain investment objectives. So if you want to enhance returns, lower risk, do portfolio completion, um, all sorts of really powerful applications. Um, so I'm not really here to talk about um, the validity of fact investing and to debate you know, some of the other stuff that has been spoken about before. Um, but, uh, and again, you can read that in the brochure. But I really want to talk about this little smarty box picture over here because as you can see, all we've got for the last, let's say, 18 years is how factors, selected factors have done. So I've got some momentum factors, value factors, growth, um, uh, quality, low volatility. All of these factors through the fullness of time have demonstrated this long-term premium that you can achieve by harvesting them properly. And uh, even though a lot of them have outperformed, so everything on top of this black line is positive returns, what's very obvious is that there's a huge amount of cyclicality here. So in, in any one year, last year, if you were exposed to price momentum, that would have really hurt your portfolio. If you were exposed to profitability in the last two years, that would have done really well. So if you had a quality manager, and again, this doesn't really apply to very systematic factors. This could be applying to manager selections that have these characteristics. Um, um, so for us, the holy grail of kind of fact investing is almost the ability to be able to time these fact exposures. So if you had that crystal ball and, and you had indicators that told you you should tilt away from momentum, you should tilt towards quality, you should be into value the last couple of years, you should be out of low volatility, um, that can really add value to clients' portfolios. We often encourage clients to have um, a blended exposure to all the, the strong factors in South Africa. Um, we, we use that ourselves. We have static allocations. But what if you could add value? What if there were ways to be able to predict what the best factor is in 2019? I'm not sure if that, that sounds like a very optimistic task, and we're going to look at it. And very little work has been done in South Africa around factor timing. Um, again, we've written a white paper on that. Um, uh, feel free to look at it on our website. Um, I've talked through most of these. Um, so I'm just going to go straight into it. So, so all we're going to do is we're going to test a couple of um, indicators that will help us predict which factors will do well in the next period. Um, we're going to build very simple portfolios. So if we've got 100 stocks, we're going to rank them. 
um, according to certain factor metrics. So let's say it's price to book. We're going to take the top 25% and the bottom 25%. We're going to build equal weighted portfolios, so very naive portfolios. And we're going to see how they performed out of period. Very, um, a very straightforward approach. We're not testing any portfolio construction. We're not doing anything complicated. We really just want to test um, certain of these factor signals. Now, we're going to use a baseline of five factors. And these are some of the definitions, but they're not um, very esoteric or, um, let's say, proprietary. It's very well-known metrics. So for value, we use P-E ratio, EV to EBIT, price to cash flow, price to tangible book. We've got quality, growth, momentum. So again, very well understood um, strategies or styles or factor portfolios. And if you did that for the last, if you did that for the last 18 years, and every month you rebalance your portfolio towards those metrics, this is the type of performance you would get from all those portfolios. So momentum has done really well. Um, it's had uh, some volatility recently. Low vol um, has kind of gone sideways for a long time. Value has seen a bit of a turnaround since 2015. Quality growth. Um, and let me just put some numbers up. So if you look at the difference between a portfolio which has got a lot of momentum and um, the worst momentum stocks, that spread is typically what we look at to reflect the success or efficacy of that factor portfolio. Um, incidentally, momentum is a, is a super strong signal in South Africa um, just because of um, the, the structural behavioral biases that we see in investors. But even value quality low vol has shown positive spreads. And again, I'm not going to argue around why this has happened. You can read a little bit more about it in the brochure. But you know, in South Africa, there is this ability to be able to extract factors and put them in portfolios and actually add value to clients' portfolios. Um, now, again, I'm just going to click through some of these. There's some interesting nuances here. I'm not going to go into them in any detail. Um, it would serve clients well to take a nice diversified allocation across all these factors, but we're trying to push the envelope here. So we're trying to say, in a certain environment, can we tilt our portfolio towards a little bit more value or a little bit more quality to take advantage of um, cyclicality that we've seen in these factor performances. A very common way that, that you would do this, and if you look at any global research that have done this, they start with mapping economic cycles. And the belief there is that macro drivers impact the drivers of these factor performances and cause them to react differently in different cycles. So um, this is what we did in South Africa. We used, again, Perhaps a bit of a flawed analysis, but we just took an output gap. We detrended it. Let me show you what that looks like. Um, and we classified it into four very well-known economic cycles. So overheat, hard landing, contraction, recovery. And what we really wanted to find out is that is there any relationship between these economic cycles and how factors perform? There should be. Intuitively, it makes sense. Um, let me show you the results. So... Um, in recovery, what we're showing here, when the blue bar is positive, it means that that's the factor that performed in that cycle. When it's negative, it means that's the factor that underperformed in that cycle. Again, looking back at this, and sure, there could be some skepticism. This is a lot of data mining um, that goes on here, but the results are fairly intuitive. So value does really well in that recovery phase. So when the economy is starting to rebound. You really want exposure to those cheap shares. They are geared to the economic cycle. It makes sense to have a valuation portfolio um, or, or pick a value manager 
Um, if, you, if the cycle then starts to mature, um, growth really comes into the economy, um, value still outperforms, but their investors are looking for momentum stocks. So those are the guys that are continuing to grow earnings, um, um, outperforming, and uh, this weird thing in South Africa, people love winners. Um, and people love stocks that do that continue to do well, and you can really harvest that well in South Africa. Notice low volatility is defensive character. You don't really want it in 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 uh, overheat cycle, hard landing, things like it looks like most factors outperform there, and contraction when the economy starts turning. You want to be defensively positioned. You want to go into a low factor or low volatility. So, again. Um, really comfortable with the intuition behind this. I guess the one challenge for us in terms of implementing this in the strategy is that there's a huge amount of assumptions that go into it. So, and I've listed some of that, is often you, know, you need to understand where you are in the cycle. You need to make sure um, you've got foresight into what the next cycle is. You need to have an assumption that the next cycle is the same as all the historic cycles. So, there's a bunch of, um, besides the data mining issue as well, it's really difficult to, in a practical basis, implement a, a cycle model on top of factor timing. So we didn't actually even think about doing that. What we instead did is we, we went back to what drives factors. So, for example, a momentum factor does well because there's this behavioral phenomena in investors, and that doesn't only work on stocks, but maybe it works on groups of stocks. So if we, and this chart looks like a bit of a spaghetti chart, but all it's shown is 12-month annualized or 12-month returns, um, relative returns for each factor. And what we thought is maybe we can take advantage of trending or momentum on factors themselves. We know they work on stocks. Maybe they can work on, if a factor does well, maybe we tilt towards that factor the same way that you think if a manager has momentum or some strategy has momentum, let's tilt towards that. Um, and you can see that you know, certain periods, you, know, you have the line continuing um, and there's some persistence in performance. So let's test that. Um, so all we did is every quarter we ranked each of these factors and we said if it ranks on top, uh, by the way, we just, took our, we just used momentum, value, and quality in this study. Um, if it's the, the best factor over the last 12 months, we're going to invest. We're going to overweight that factor. If it's the worst, we're going to underweight it. A very simple strategy. We're going to test if there's persistence in factor performance so we can time, time um, how these factors do. And what we found, and here we show a chart of the 12-month relative returns of that strategy, this momentum factor strategy, you can see that it actually, is there a pointer here? Oh, there is. Um, you can see it adds a little bit of return, about 40 basis points. Doesn't sound like much, and probably after costs, you probably wiped a lot of that away. Um, but there definitely is something in persistence in factor performance that we can use. The, the, the challenge, however, is some of these periods here where we have these huge drawdowns um, that probably wiped a lot of that return away. And what we found is that something that's probably well known is that momentum itself um, struggles with inflection points. You could be exposed to a strategy that has a lot of momentum exposure. Um, suddenly the market turns very quickly and, and you've got your bum out the window, for lack of a better word. But for us, 
that happened in 2009 um, with the momentum factor, it's not only momentum, it's value as well. Um, value can turn very quickly. And what tends to happen is that perhaps there's some information that we're ignoring when it comes to these big inflection points. Um, and here we started looking at valuation. So maybe there's an argument that a momentum strategy gets crowded and that's when you really want to look at something like valuation. So what we did is we took all these portfolios and we calculated price to books on them. So through time for the value portfolio, the, there's a cheap bucket, an expensive bucket, and it made sense by construction value is going to be cheap. Um, uh, the expensive value is going to be expensive. Quality, you've got high quality companies, um, expensive price to books, etc. All of this makes sense. And all we're going to do is we're going to set up a rule that we're going to buy the cheap factor um, and we're going to fund that from the expensive factor. The problem with that is that value is always going to be cheap and we don't always want to be buying value. Um, so what we do is we, we normalize this. Um, so we just take a, a price to book of that portfolio. We look at its standard deviation or its Z-score on a normalized basis relative to the last five years. And there at least we've got some, we can compare a value with a quality portfolio um, because we've um, made it compatible. So all this chart shows is, is how those normalized valuations change. And, and conceptually, all we do now is we want to buy a factor. Again, this can apply to, to any strategy, but doesn't make sense to buy, in the same way we buy cheap stocks, let's buy cheap factors and just keep doing that on a month-to-month month -month basis. Let's see if that works. Um, in the end, uh, it actually showed some negative alpha. So buying cheap factors and just rolling that on a month-to-month -month basis does not work. Um, again, we, we struggled with the concept of this because valuation is fundamental to investment. It's a pillar of how people think about um, buying assets. And, and maybe there were periods where there was a long period year where buying cheap factors didn't work. There was a long period year. The nature in which we were almost forced, we forced ourselves to buy cheap factors regardless of how cheap they were. So if I go back to this chart, there were periods here from 2008 to 2012 that that normalized valuation was pretty normal. Um, it wasn't extreme. Uh, and, and if you think about the, th the theory around, um, and most of my co-sponsors will agree with me, <laughs> um, um, that when you buy an asset that has a stretched valuation, the signal becomes a lot stronger than if you buy an asset that's pretty close to its normal valuation. So, so buying an asset that's just a few percent um, below, let's say, an intrinsic value um, may not have as much prospective return as buying something that is dirt cheap. So, so what we did is we went back to this chart and we said, let's raise the bar in terms of when we buy these factors. Let's set this threshold to one and a half standard deviation. So when a factor was Real, significantly cheap relative to its five-year history. Let's perhaps use that as a factor timing strategy. And that did improve returns. Um, I, there was big periods here where we couldn't actually take any views because um, factors tended not to show any significant valuation dispersions. Um, in the end, we added value. Um, it was kind of a low tracking error 
type of portfolio. And, and again, it kind of made concept, conceptual sense that you want to hit those really, those bad balls, those, um, you really want to, or in baseball they talk about the fat pitch. Um, and, and when it comes to a good ball, you really want to, you want to leave it or you want to block it or, um, I wanted to make a prettier joke, but maybe you know, it's too soon to talk about the, the cricket team. Um, what we decided then to do is, what's my timing like? So we said, cool, momentum works. It's a little bit marginal. The cost might eat a lot of it away. Valuation works if it's stretched valuation. Let's see if they can augment each other, if they can actually complement each other. So what we did is we said, Let's buy factors when they show some persistence, but if they become super expensive, um, let's not overweight them. Let's actually be neutral them because we don't really want to be exposed to a very sharp rollover in that factor. Um, and we, we did this kind of matrix to say when we would buy, when we would sell. Um, and if you look at the information ratio, um, we actually improved it. So just some tentative evidence that, that there's promise in, in doing factor time in thinking about both momentum of factors as well as the valuation of factors. The same way, and you can approach this, I think, for any asset class if you want to systematize some sort of timing model around it. Um, I think my last couple of slides, uh, again, you know, read the white paper if you want the detail around this, but um, what we've been doing up to now is buying subsets, we've been buying portfolios of momentum, of quality, of value. Um, and this diagram on the left just graphically illustrates, it's kind of what they call a blended or sub-portfolio approach. Um, what instead if we, and, and what often happens is there's a huge amount of efficiency because you want to tend towards quality, you often have to buy stocks that you really don't want to buy because you're buying the full portfolio. What if we could go straight to the stocks itself and actually use a multi-factor approach. So now we're selecting the stocks by calculating what their, what their aggregate signal is on a bottom-up basis. Um, there's a huge amount of research into this globally. We've done a, some of our own, and multi-factor tends to be a lot um, enhanced efficiency of that factor exposure. And when we think about timing it, surely you want to use an approach where you can time a factor, um, but um, you know, not have to waste any exposure by going through the whole portfolio itself. So, so we did this, we calculated a, we actually built a multi-factor factor timing model. Um, and let me just talk you through the results. Um, these are the results I showed you earlier. Um, if we use a multi-factor approach, we get um, enhanced returns based on that versus single factor. And when we augment our momentum and valuation approach, um, the results aren't as great, but um, they, they work a lot better than using single factors. I think this is my last slide, but um, I think for us, you know, this research is really illuminating in the sense that um, factor timing is, is really optimistic, we think. The, the benefits are marginal. Um, you know, we've built a, almost a theoretical case for it that um, perhaps could be a capability in the future for us. Currently, we like to use static allocations to a host of really strong factors. Um, and, and again, it shows that um, you, you know, clients are, are, are very well served by just thinking about 
the concepts around what the benefits of fact investing are, even if it's a, a naive strategy of just diversifying your portfolio to some momentum, some quality, and, and some value. Um, that gives you a, a, a really nice blend of the best factors in South Africa and making sure that you can extract that efficiently in your portfolio. Um, factor timing for us was more of a, an academic exercise. There, there are guys globally, the likes of BlackRock, that are implementing factor timing models in, in, in some of the indices. Um, South Africa is probably a few years away from, from doing that. Um, but um, yeah, that's it in terms of research. The white paper's on the on the website, and you know if you have any questions, well, are we taking questions now? Huh? Yeah, yeah, happy to take questions. Questions? Any questions before lunch, for Jason? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe not mentioned before lunch. Thank you so much Thank for you. sharing that with us. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a lunch break.